expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Come one, come all, the episode 88 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where I think Assassin's Creed has taught us that having hay everywhere is kind of like having mattress stores everywhere in the modern times. Ah, you saw my meme, you son of a bitch. I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. You've got a mattress store. You've got, like, every city has furniture row and mattress row where you've got 18, you know, 0% financing mattress stores. And what oh, do you yeah. have in medieval times? Is Bales it, of hay like, everywhere. What's well, kind of funny, like, like, that's one thing about Assassin's Creed I kind of laugh at in a good way because I'm like... You're at any highest peak in any city in the games, and there's just somehow, by the grace of God, a bale of hay that you can just ever so gracefully land into, no matter how high you are, and not die. That's my problem. It's nature's memory foam. That's my problem. What makes you think (laughs) you're standing at the very peak of, like, a steeple? You're standing on top of Notre Dame, and you're like, let's see, I want to jump. But I don't want to die. Oh, there's a pile of hay. I really need to get down. Oh, wait, there's a small cart with hay in it. That'll be fine. (laughs) Head first, by the way. Head first. Swan dive into the gracefulness of straw. Ah, jeez. Well, I'm swan diving James with him alongside. (laughs) The ever so sharpshooting Merkel one-armed Nick Pataglian. Boy, what a fun week we had last week in terms of Assassin's Creed, James. Yeah, talking to Victoria Aitken about Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Evie Fry, and it was just so cool having her on there and learning more about what she did in the game that we didn't know, and hopefully you learned something as well. We're still trying to get her cast in the Tomb Raider movie, which does have a director now, by the way. So, hey, guys, Victoria Atkin for Laura Croft. Do it. Exactly, man. I mean, it's, hey, if she gets cast... You know, we want to be at that premiere because, hey, right. we, we we started the movement. <laughs> That's right. We're, we we made the hashtag Victoria Atkin for Laura Croft on Twitter. So keep just keep posting that. I mean, I know you're doing your bring back Constantine hashtags and stuff. There's petitions. That's great. Let's get Victoria Atkin as Laura Croft. Perfect choice. Let's just make it happen. Exactly. I mean, again, she did all the motion capture for Evie Fry. And again, go out and get Assassin's Creed Syndicate. It's a really, really fun game. Speaking of fun games, James. Yeah, you had a choice to make. I did. Okay, so people who have been following us on Facebook and social media, you know, Twitter, even people I've been talking to, I've said, you know, I can't wait for Star Wars Battlefront, of course, that came out this week from from EA and DICE, and I had a pre-order. So you ever wake up in the morning, James, you have a purchase you know you got to make that day. However... You have second thoughts and thus cause you to read more things and watch more things about the stuff you're about to purchase or the mm-hmm. thing you're about to purchase. Oh, yeah. And you get some serious doubt. That was me. Okay. Now, now what planted the seed, though? Well, okay. I know weeks ago I said, listen, the whole story concept, it, the whole not having a campaign for solo people, you know, not a big deal. And it wasn't. Even that wasn't really a big deal. However, it's all multiplayer. It's all online multiplayer and co-op. All of, it's all the game stuff are. And I'm like, I don't want that. 
I mean, this I'm not, is gonna, I, this I don't is, like yeah. multiplayer. I don't yeah. play co-op. No, this is going to sound worse than it actually is. I don't like playing with other people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, I just like being able to turn on my game, not have to worry about my internet connection, not that we ever do, but not having to worry about that, and just going and playing where I want to play at my own pace, not have to worry about what somebody else is doing. And and if you can't do that, that, that man, that's a problem for me. Yeah, so I got to the GameStop, and I'm like, you know, I go, I have this pre-order for Battlefront, and, you know, can I switch it over to get Fallout? And I kind of asked, you know, this girl who I, who I'm kinda, I would say acquaintances with at the store, and she she plays both. And I'm like, do you ever have Buyer's Remorse for that? She goes, yeah, and she told me what we well, Call of Duty 3, and she had Buyer's Remorse for that. And then, you know, her coworker jumps in and says, you know, do you like multiplayer? Do you play online? And I go, no. I go, but I like Star Wars. She goes, then don't get Battlefront. And she's like, go with Fallout. And so I did. I I changed my, my I got rid of my pre-order. I took the money I had for my pre-order. And I traded in the disappointing thing that was Arkham Knight for Fallout 4. And just, and I, I God, dude. I went Courtney Taylor on, who of course plays the main female protagonist in this. Yep. But I've never played a game that's taken my disgust of mole rats to the next level. Yeah, I could see that. I could really see that. Like, imagine mole rats the size of dogs. That's all I'm saying. Wow. And, I mean... That's a lot. But the thing is, and this is what's great about Fallout 4, is that it's beautiful, first of all. Aesthetically, it's beautiful. Um, that was one of my fears with Battlefront 2, is that I thought it was just going to be a skin, like a, a, a Star Wars skin on a Battlefront game. Right. That's it, you know what I'm saying? Right. And a lot of people I've run reading, a lot of people who I've talked to who have played the beta were like, yeah, after 10 hours, it loses its luster. Like, it's not much reason to play it. You know, like a friend of ours messaged me this morning. He's like, I got, oh, I'm Battlefront's the best game ever. I'm like, wait till you get to that 10-hour mark and you don't have a campaign or anything like that to play. Tell me how fun it is. And I remember when we were talking about this during our, our discussion at E3, I remember saying, you know, I, I'm much more excited for Old Republic than I am about exactly. Battlefront. Exactly. And so, but Fallout 4, man, I mean, it's, the customization's fun. You know, I made, of course... Uh, sadly, I, I made Wade Wilson. I made him all scarred up and everything else. Couldn't put a mask on him. But sadly, I saved a spot where I would just respawn and die immediately. I, I, I <laughs> saved a horrible place. Uh, and so I had to restart the entire game. So I just made myself as much as I could. I kind of look like Captain Cold now. <laughs> yeah, there are worse, <laughs> I, I there are worse like things to look like. Miller. I really do. There are worse things, man. There are worse things. But uh, no, it's a fun game. And the thing is, too, is that I played it. I got it at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I played till two in the morning. I still haven't really done any of the main story, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, but that's cool at the same time. I've been doing side missions and just exploring. And it's fun. And you know, you can sort of tear down houses and rebuild your, you know, your, your, your sanctuary and everything else. And it's fun as hell, dude. It's really, really fun. And plus the story, just in the beginning, it has that holy shit moment in the beginning, but it's just great. Like, this is probably the best game I've ever played that's from Bethesda. Wow. Like that's, it's, that's it's sampling. This is probably, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to say it. This is my game of the year. Fallout wow. 4 is my game of the year. <laughs> it's your game of the year and you've been playing it for less for, than 12 hours. I, yeah. <laughs> 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 well, it's just, I mean, when you have, you know what I'm saying? Like when, like even like when, when I played Arkham Knight, you're like, okay, there's going to be a point where I'm going to beat the story and then what? This is like, I'm just doing this one outside side quest. 
but I haven't really done any of the main story. Like, you know, and it's yeah. just it's crazy. And then there's like things like you can uh, tons and tons of quests and over twenty hours of gameplay. You know, it's just it's insane. Plus, this is kind of a nice kick in the balls to EA and Dice because their whole season pass, they want like extra fifty bucks for a season pass. Yeah. It gets you like sixteen maps and stuff you can get if you just play the game for a while and build yourself up. The season pass for Fallout 4, 30 bucks. And you hey, get a ton of shit. There you go. And you get a ton Big of difference. stuff. And I love it. I really, really do, James. I really, really do. But speaking of things that we love, we love comics, hence why we do this podcast. And come up next, we got two new comics we're reviewing this week. It's what we're reading. And it's come up next on Downward Nerdy. This is Victoria Atkin, the voice of Evie Fry, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, who we undo that plastic packaging and slip our fingers inside ever so gently into that bag and oh grab us a nice piece of comic because it's time to discuss what we're reading this week and uh mm, fresh pages oh god you just smell the inks <laughs> you don't get that oh. from digital no. Oh God, we just went very sensual, very sensual indeed. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's hard not to when you've got two great comics. Well, and about. when you got candles lit, and you know, and you just, you you have... do, he does do that. By the way, for anybody that doesn't know, <laughs> he reads his comics by candlelight. Not even kidding. Yep. Yep. Just, uh just just grabbing the pages of Batman, just turning him, just going, oh, Riddler, you tease me. <laughs> pick, up, pick up zero you you'll know what that means <laughs> exactly but uh anyways no this week we got two new comics and um uh, are you gonna be okay to go first are you, I'm gonna are you be all fine. right okay i'm gonna be fine okay but uh you know, i mentioned batman but i didn't do batman this week instead i went the indie route and i rode that dark horse i rode him long and hard there you go. And i went with alabaster the good the bad and the bird number one of five now it's written by caitlin l kiernan and art is done by daniel warren johnson the colors done by carlos badia and letters done by nate picos of blambot now before i dive into the actual comic itself the series itself doesn't hit shelves until the, the, december 9th okay and something cool about this too it's a winner of the Bram Stoker Award, which actually is a recognition presented by the Horse Riders Association, which is also the ah. HWA, and it's for superior achievement in dark fantasy and horror writing. Nice. So when you see that, you know you're getting for a good thing, and that's Legit. what I got. Now, I want to preface before I dive into my review here. It's not out December 9th, but the way that this story is written and shaped, I cannot give the setting because that itself is a spoiler. Which is pretty crazy if you think about so it. So I will give you the plot. Now, the plot of it is that a new evil haunts the sun-scorched back roads of these ghost towns of American South, and uh, there's these two murderous twins who pretty much have this legion of ghouls, and the main character, who's known as Darcy Flamarian, of course, me being a Pokemon fan, I'm like, oh, Flareon, Flamarian, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she must face down these demons that are both of that were of this world and they're not. And here's the thing is the setting of this is more in the feeling of this with, when it comes to Dancy is that she wants to make things right. She's at a point and where she is, where she needs to make things right. Okay. And she wants to go back and revisit things and redo them. And 
this is the first issue is built as that second chance. And what I love about this is the art. The art is great because the art can't get into the setting, but let's just say that when you're in the south, it's very rugged. It's very sun scorched. It's very burned. You know, very orange. It's it's rough looking, but it's nice. But when you get to where Dancy is, it's very peaceful and calming and, in a sense, blank, if you will. And it's very nice. And it gives you that, that, that feeling that you're reading two different stories, but it's still connected. And it doesn't make you feel like – and when it goes back between characters, between these two twins and Dancy, you don't feel, okay – I just got pulled out of something great, and I'm going to something that's not so interesting. Like that's been a that's been a problem before in other stuff that we've read. Exactly, and the thing is, you know, without spoiling it, it's a redemption story, and I and it's really it's a really really smart redemption story that has these you know like there's a part where like you know it's not much of a spoiler right here, but you know, Dancy's visits like this three headed angel demon thing, and it's just like. It's just amazing. There's the look of it and the creativity and just the, the monsters and the beings of the world. And the twins are just fucking psychopaths. Like they're 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 psychopaths, but they're also kind of like backroads assholes kind of okay, thing. Okay, okay. Like you know how you go like, I mean, we've both been in the deep south and you know you get to those certain areas where you got those people saying, You should turn back, y'all's kind of don't belong down here. Your kind don't belong here. You need yeah, to go away. That's what they they very much are kind of like that. Okay. And it's very, very interesting. Um the story's great. The writing just grabs you because it's just it's like I said, it's not strictly horror, it's fantasy as well. And it mixes it. Man, Kieran does a great job just mixing the words together. And uh you know, even though there's two storylines that are going parallel to one another. There's going to be that point where they mix, and there's certain pieces of dialogue that the twins say that tie you to Dancy and that, that tie the strands together in the story. Right. And it's – I cannot wait to dive more into this. I want to thank Dark Horse for giving us an advanced copy of this because this – I'm going to get all five issues because this is just – the first one, I'm hooked, and it's it makes me – it's just one of those things where it, you can kind of – if you just read the dancey parts, it reads kind of like a bedtime story. Wow. So it's, it, a, it's amazing that you can go from that to the parallel of like this scorched earth yeah. kind of deal on the other side. It's, like a, it's almost like a heaven and hell type situation, it seems like. Yeah, man. I mean, it's great. So I think, you know, it's be all set and, and ready to go with this. And I'm all in, man. It's a it's a definite pull slash buy for me, dude. You got to go out and get this when it comes out December 9th. Again, it's, it's called Alabaster, the good, the bad, and the bird. It's number one. It's from Dark Horse. It's a buy for me. And again, when you see something that wins the Bram Stoker Award for oh, writing, yeah. you know it's good. So, James... That's my pick of the week, and that's my choice. What's your go? Well, I feel like we haven't done any Valiant in a while, so I decided to go ahead and go the Valiant route, and I did the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior number one, which, of course, is written by Robert Menditti. Also, Raul Allen does the art, so they're teaming up again. Actually, they got help with the art, though, from Patricia Martin, which also who also did the letter, so I think that's very interesting oh. to have a letterer helping out with some of the art. Of course, there was also art assists by David Estruga and also additional color by Borgia Pendado. Now, I would like to say this kind of picks up where Book of Death left off. Right. And um, basically, the way it starts is kind of interesting because 
Galad's in this area. It's it's not a cave. It's more of like a cliffside. And it's like he's with this creature that will remind you so much of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Really? I mean, it's just... I don't want to say it's obvious that that's what they were going for because I don't think... Obviously, I don't think they're trying to rip it off or anything. But that is the absolute feeling that you're going to get. Yeah. When you see these first couple pages. But it turns out that he's actually... And this is not a spoiler, especially if you've read Book of Death. He's back home now. Yeah. What I didn't know is that Galad has like 19 kids. So I guess we know what he likes to do in his spare time. Yes. I've traveled 5,000 miles to give you my seed. I mean, yeah, and, and and it's definitely happened quite often. But actually what the story ends up being is about his family and about him and about whether or not he can keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. It's this struggle of, okay, here's what my family life looks like and here's what it could be. But part of it, oh. but oh. part of it's broken too. That's the other, it's kind of sad in a way. How, f- oh, I was gonna make a joke, but now that's kind of sad. I can't really make the joke. Well, I'm gonna make it anyways. Fuck it. Can you imagine if they did this in the style of Married with Children with Galad? That would he's be Al interesting. Bund- he's Al Bundy. He's, he, yeah, he's definitely not Al Bundy in this. That's for sure. But I, I could see, I could see doing a parody of it and doing it that way. That's that seems like something Elliot and Donnie would do. Yeah, uh, Elliot Rahal and Donnie Cates. So let's keep that in mind for any kind of spoofs later on down the line. That's not the worst idea in the world. No, but so uh, just continue, continue. It, it, it's kind of heartbreaking because you could tell he wants to be with his family, but there's still that pull to go back. And do what he's supposed to do. And there's even, again, this isn't really a spoiler. It's like, you know, I've been protecting the line of the geomancers for 6,000 years. Have I earned the time to kind of get my life back kind of thing? And there's that struggle going on. And then basically the way it ends is you kind of find out which direction he's going to go. Yeah. I mean, they do reset Book of Death in this too, which I think is really good for anybody that might not have read it. They kind of tell you what he went through. Uh, in the Book of Death series, very, very quickly. It's only like a page or two that they go into that. But then by the end of the issue, you kind of see exactly where his head is at and where he's going. And it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. So I think that what Venditti did with the writing here, making you really feel the struggle struggle that he goes through in this was absolutely amazing. And I think he kind of felt it in Book of Death as well. And it really set this up well. They made you care so much about this character as if you didn't already in Book of Death that it made you kind of want to even try this out anyway. But the struggle that he has and what direction he might go and how that might affect his family is very well done by Venditti. Really? So so what would you give this? Uh, Well, the art was not as good as Book of Death. No. Not to say it was bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it wasn't as good as Book of Death. But I will say that the writing is so good by Venditti that this is this is a pull for me. So the writing it, it balances out the art, or it it, it makes up for, for the art might fall if, fall if, a little bit. And again, the art wasn't bad because I think Raoul Allen's very good. And but I know he there was a lot of assists in here, and maybe it was a too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing because. At times it was a little bit inconsistent, but the colors were the colors were very good too by by Borgia Pendado. That was I will say that. But there are times where even in the same even in the same page in the same panels, you can kind of tell subtle differences. So that kind of throws you off a little bit. So if the writing was a little bit off, I would say that this is a pickup, but the writing is so good. 
Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we speak of the whole too many cooks. If you've, read, if you've seen the, the video, I suspect you heard the reference for that. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyways, the thing about too many cooks, yeah, it's kind of a thing you can fall on. It can be kind of dangerous uh, when you have multiple people doing certain multiple tasks. Like if you have two writers or – Yeah, or and that whatever, goes the same for can, writing, yeah. You know, it can fall into that trap. So, I mean, going forward, maybe it'll improve. You know, we'll see. But, I mean, hey, it's a poll for you. It's a, you know, I, mine was a poll. And – you know, it's a good week. Again, just it just shows that there's great writing, and you have to understand the art as well like for certain things. Like The art's not going to be always uh, clean and detailed like you would see like in a Marvel comic. And it doesn't you know? always have to be. You no, know? I but mean, that's the thing. Is, it would very, it'd be very – it wouldn't be art if it was just the same thing. You know right, exactly. You can't just whitewash over everything and let everything look the same. And I think that contrasting styles is something that – has made comics great in the modern era because I think a lot of comics, not to knock any of the other ages because I think that they're brilliant, but a lot of the art always looked the same in the Silver Age and stuff like that. Not exactly the same, but similar enough. Yeah. And I think that there's so many contrasting styles nowadays that it, that it really is, it's almost the time of the artist right now in comics, and I think that that's really cool. Exactly. And before we move on to Geek Tame, I do want to say our good friend Mark Millar, his comic, Hawk number one came out this week, so yes. go get it. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it comes out this week, so go get Hawk number one. It's amazing. And go back to listen to our interview with Mark Millar and Raphael Albuquerque. But coming up next, we're going to go into the Badlands with AMC. Coming up with Geek Tainment. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is colorist Tamara Bondolan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, kids, grab those katanas because we're entering the Badlands this week. Of course, we're talking about the brand new show on AMC, Into the Badlands. And Nick, I got to tell you, for me personally, I've been waiting for a good martial arts style series. There have been so many that they've tried and failed. And, you know, I'm thinking we got something here. Well, and here's the thing, too, is when you look at martial arts films and martial arts TV shows, a lot of the time the fighting will be fantastic, but the storyline won't. And yep. it, won't, it won't have any merit to it, and it relies too much on its fighting. Into the Badlands nails and has a really good story to it. it it's a really good job. Of course, it's created by Alfred Goh and Miles Millar, and... Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good show. And I mean, it opens up and it hits the ground running. Yeah, it really does. I mean, when you've got, you've got Sonny and his kind of his monologue there and he's on the motorcycle and then he finds that wrecked vehicle and just bodies everywhere. So then he goes searching, of course, for the who was responsible for that. And he comes up on a camp full of douchebags and let's just say they (laughs) uh, made the wrong decision. Yeah, and, and that right there, though, in that scene raised a small red flag for me a little bit. As the show progresses, I really hope that there's somebody that can challenge Sonny in a fight, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want yeah. to be these fights where one person is mostly dominant, cause especially because there's two major fight scenes in the first episode of the pile. Of course, that's what we're reviewing this week. Where Sonny is going against like five plus people and he's just mm. kicking everybody's ass. Well, I mean, to your point, remember that fight scene that they had later on? And obviously, this is a spoiler, Phil, in case you haven't been able to tell. Um, remember the fight scene where they're in the rain and he yeah. just stops like six oh, katanas yeah. at six once? Six katanas with two of his own, yeah. Which was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. That was pretty yeah. awesome. But, I mean, 
In that first fight scene, you kind of got a sense that the ringleader of the douchebags was going to give him a little bit of a hard time. And I guess he kind of got a couple (laughs) shots in. But, I mean, your point does kind of stand. There has to be somebody at some point that challenges him. And I know that it's the pilot and we got to wait a little bit longer and all this other stuff. But, yeah, to to see him just kind of mow everybody down, you want to establish him as dominant. But you also want to establish that, oh, wow, you know, this is the kind of guy that might give him trouble kind of thing. Yeah. I think that not you doing always, that early on. Eh. You always want to present a, a, a sense that even though it's the main character, there's a sense that shit could go down in the wrong way. Like, you know. Yeah, to me, that, it's like, he it's can, like when. You know, he's, he's walking away, you know, with a cut and stuff like that. But you got to say, like, okay, is there going to be a point where he walks away like badly hurt or, or stuff yeah. like that. Or is it going to be where he, you know, he gets a cut and that's it, you know, and, and he walks away. But I mean, you know, as you were meant, about to mention, what were you about to say? It's funny because it's like when you watch Arrow and yeah. there's a, and there's a fight scene in a flashback with Oliver yeah. and like, it looks like somebody's trying to kill him. And you're like, well, he's not going to die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why do that at all? I mean, I know you're trying to establish something here, but I don't know why we're doing this. So I hope it doesn't get to that point where every time you see Sonny get into a fight, it's like, well, we know how this is going to go kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, you have to give people the sense that you're, I mean, I guess you'd call him the main character, that your main character could die. Right. And, of course, Sonny being played by Daniel Wu, who does a great job. And so we talked about the fighting. Now let's talk about the actual story and the setting. So this takes place. We don't know where, but, of course, it says the Badlands. And given the way that people sound and just the way that even the houses are built, uh, it seems like it's taking place in the Deep South. It's it's like the Great Gatsby with kicking. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's kind of what it is. And I got to tell you, the house that's in this show, I can't know for sure because I, I didn't have time to look it, it up. It's from Forrest Gump. I've been to that house. Because really? I've traveled in the Deep South. I think that's South. I think it's either Georgia or South Carolina. I've been to that house for sure. Really? I've toured that house. Yeah, because we do that when we go on vacation, go in the South. And, you know, my wife likes to tour the plantation houses and stuff like that. And they're beautiful. So it's really cool to go, to go see those old Deep South houses. I've been to that house. Wow. Yeah, wow. it's 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 pretty neat. Even the inside, when he was going in the inside trying to get the amulet back, yeah, yeah. I get to, I'm like, this looks really familiar, other than the setting inside where they had to make it look like the Baron's son's room. Kind of so thing. anyways, as you mentioned earlier, he comes upon these what's called nomads, and he finds this like young teenage preteen boy, and there's a mystery behind him. And oh, yeah. <laughs> boy, we find out what that mystery is in a really kick-ass scene. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I mean... You've always got that kind of in the schoolyard dynamic, which they create with these clipper recruits. Yeah. You've always got that one that has to be the asshole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And has to pick on everybody. So, yeah, we get a little bit of that. And there's some pushing around and, hey, you watch my back, I'll watch yours kind of thing with another kid. But then they're kind of in their, I don't know, their barracks, I guess. Yeah. And that's that scene where he kind of pushes up on, I guess the kid's name is MK. MK. When he tries to fight him again. Oh, boy, does it not work out well. I mean, in those types of dynamics, you always have to have a Johnny. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. You you have to. But, I mean, you find out that there's more of this kid than meets the eye when he, especially, you know. uh, Oh, you just, that's kind of a pun. uh, That's kind of a pun. I didn't even mean Uh, it. It's seething through your veins right now. Oh, no. It's like a disease that eats me slowly, I don't expect it. Well, if your eyes turn black like this this kid's did, yeah, then, dude. Uh, you know. Um, but, I mean, it's a really good show. Like I said, the only knock on it that I could have was 
uh, like I said, the fights, I don't want it to be where it's too predictable. But also, I mean, there's certain uh, beats and certain plot points and plot devices we see that we've seen a lot of stuff before. Yeah, you know, you have, yeah. of course, the the, uh, the the Baron, of course, the head, the head Baron there. And the way that the uh, the good dive a little bit more in the story is that there are like what six barons divided. Uh, it was either the six land. or seven. I can't remember which, but yeah, it was somewhere around there. Yeah, and they each have control over certain things. So it's kind of like like picture like a Mad Max thing where each you know you have the bullet farm and you have you know where Martin and Joe is where you have all the water and everything else. Everybody has their own resources and yeah. resources that Sonny's Baron is in charge of is all the poppy fields. And there's gonna be kind of a uh, little bit of a rivalry. Kind of going on between what's called the who's called the this woman who's called the widow who's also a baron, but she controls mm. all the oil mm. that powers all stuff for the poppy fields. So it's kind of you have a unique dynamic there, and I mean it, it's you got certain senses and with the pilot where there you got to figure you can go into the second episode. There's a lot of stuff that can just blow up in Sonny's face. Yeah, much. not only that, but uh, the baron who's played by Martin Sockus, who I thought did a fantastic job. Uh, as the Baron in this pilot episode, they're kind of coming after him now. Yeah. For some reason, I guess they, they see that there's a weakness there. This is one of those times where there's usually harmony amongst Barons, but now they're all going to be starting to come after the Baron. So, and then Sonny takes a lot of risks exactly. in this first episode. And now the widow's involved, and well, does she know what's really going on with well, Sonny, or does she not kind of thing? Here's an interesting thing that I was going to get to with, you know, we have certain plot devices that we've seen a lot of other things prior to this. Uh, it's the Baron's son. You know, yeah. he's, he's going to be, you know, he's supposed to take over when the Baron dies. Um, you know, and he's kind of playing it like a Joffrey kind of thing. Where yeah, he's, he I definitely wants got that vibe. It, you know, He's kind of like a Joffrey slash Baruch Assault thing where he's being very aggressive. Like, we should attack and we shouldn't be, you know, th- you know, sitting back everything else. And, you know, you he, he have a very... Uh, kind of Harry Osborne feel to him too. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but I mean, is, is, am I wrong in seeing that he's screwing one of his dad's wives? Yeah. Did well, I, I mean, see that right. Yeah. But again, it's it, as his mother says, though, he, she goes, you know, the Baron can have as many wives as he wants. And I mean, his wife is like number eight. But what, where I'm going with that is, is that this is a hostile takeover kind of situation. Oh, yeah. It's like, she's embedded no pun intended there, I swear. She's embedded <laughs> with sure. the Baron yeah. so to help the son take over sooner. And they even said in one of the, uh, they showed the previews for the for rest of the season, she's like, let's go after the real enemy and that's your father kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's your, there's your inside person to try and get the Baron out of there. And are they involved with the widow trying to come after the Baron and stuff like that? We don't know, but that's something that we could see going forward. Exactly, and you know, it's it's a pretty interesting thing. I think AMC, knowing that they've got so much invested in Walking Dead and a lot of Supernatural, it's nice for them to have actually break that mold a little bit and go with this route. You know, I mean, yeah. they had you know Hell on Wheels and you know Breaking Bad, they've been kind of looking for something like that to kind of take over for those shows. And I think you know, outside of, of course Walking Dead um, and that whole genre of zombies, I think they found it in it within to the Badlands. I I like it a lot. Again, my only problem with it, with AMC is, you know, I'm a cord cutter and I can only watch the pilot because I need to be able to sign in to my cable account that I don't have in order to watch mm-hmm. the rest of the season. So, odds are I'm going to have to wait for it to come on Netflix to finish the season. I mean, it definitely is a very good show. I want to see where it's going. And, and I agree with you that 
AMC's been looking for that other show or that other genre. I mean, they tried yeah. Turn and that kind of worked, but then it really didn't. And like you said, they've had a few others as well. They've had hits, but they've been looking for that next hit to not just have The Walking Dead be kind of their flagship. And I, like I said earlier, I think that they've got something here. And if they stick with it, I think that they could really come up with a unique storyline. And with the fighting scenes, as good as they are, these are legit martial arts. And it's oh, something yeah. where when the fighting's going on, you don't want to turn away. And no. I think that's a great thing and, about the show. And, and it's all shot beautifully, I might add, too. I and mean, the it, score is great. The score is great. You know, the acting's good. The, the, the Again, the cinematography is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a really, really good job. And, uh, you know, final thing I want to talk about this before we give our, our rating, going back to the fact that we don't know where it takes place, even what year it takes place in, adds a really good sense of mystery to what's going on. And then that of itself is its own character. The Badlands are their own character. And that's the oh, yeah. strength of the show. No doubt about it. Because you don't, because just when you think, you know, what time period you're in, yeah. they show you another item that's from a certain era. And you're like, okay, well, are we there now? Where the hell are we? Kind right. of thing. And is it like, maybe they're just collecting artifacts from wherever they can find them because these are badlands and why are they the badlands we don't really even know that either how that even happened because they don't really go into it so that's another thing that i think we're going to get into but now let's get into our ratings so one to ten katanas what are you giving this into the badlands <laughs> uh i'm gonna give badland into the badlands eight out of ten katanas and uh the reason like i said is um you know Everything was good for it. I like the acting. I like the score. The cinematography was really good. It was shot beautifully. Um, again, my only fear is that I kind of see where this could be going in certain ways with certain characters. We've seen this before. And again, I don't want it to make it look like Sonny where he you can't break him. You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. can't hurt him or anything else. You know, I don't want it to be where he's very indestructible because that's kind of like I want to bring up a movie called you know, Die Hard, for example. The problem with Die Hard was they made John McClane indestructible as this as the movies progress in every diehard he got more indestructible as it went on the newer ones where it's like he's just fucking superhuman terminator even diehard with a vengeance he should have died at least four times yeah at least he should have been dead and he wasn't and he was able to keep going too by the way and i get it's a movie but come on um I'll go with eight out of ten as well, and and the only re- and I, the thing that gives me pause is a couple of things you just mentioned. And the other thing that is, I was I started watching a show a couple of years ago called Dominion on Sci-Fi. Right. And the first couple of episodes, I'm like, this is going to be a great show. I finally found something on Sci-Fi that I really like. I'm excited about that to keep watching it. But then as it went on, I'm like, this is getting predictable and boring, and I just flat out stopped watching it. And of course, they canceled it. So I'm kind of hoping that. This doesn't turn out to be that, where it's such a great first episode, but then it trails off, and all the tropes start to come in, and it starts to be ordinary. I really hope that it doesn't have that failing, but I've just, I've got such a good feeling that this show is going to be able to get past that. Exactly. That's going to do it for our review of Into the Badlands from AMC. We come up next, we have a bunch of nerd news coming up, and there's a certain brand of toy that's dominating the market and can make billions of dollars in a short amount of time. Which one is it? Well, stay tuned and find out. Nerd News come next. I'm down nerdy. This is David Soboloff, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, it's that time, nerds. We got our money and head to the cash register because it's time for what, James? Nerd news! That's the budget we have, sorry. Yeah, that's the budget we have, all $5 of it. But anyways, (laughs) the reason why I brought up the whole cash register thing is as even as I teased at the end of Geektainment, there's a certain brand of toys that are just dominating the toy market right now. They're even pushing other toys to the side, James, as yeah. far as self space goes. And, of course, no surprise, we're talking about those Star Wars toys ever since they launched the new set of toys for The Force Awakens. We're looking at, Nick, that it could generate $2 billion, according to the Wall Street Journal, in revenue in four months. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's not surprising, but it's ridiculous. And the Wall Street Journal even reported that since the beginning with the whole Force Friday that happened on September 4th, it dominates shelf space. So, yeah. And store budgets, too. Remember, stores have to spend money to yep. get these in their stores. That's how it works, people. And pretty much what they're doing is Star Wars is squeeze out the competition. That's why you're seeing a lot less Peanuts stuff, a lot less Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff on Jurassic the Jurassic World stuff got shoved out of the way. Yep. I mean, it was just dominant. And I, I'll be honest, some of that's my money. Yeah, uh, I went out and got some of the stuff. I'm not gonna lie. I, I you know, I'm collecting for my son first well, of all, yeah, and but, for me. But <laughs> when, you, when I mentioned Peanuts and TMNT losing all that shelf space, they lost twenty percent of their shelf space this year just yeah. to Target alone. And you had to know that that was gonna happen, though. If you're them, it's it's unfortunate timing. Yeah. Um, I am seeing a lot more Peanut stuff start to pop out in Target now that the movie's been out, though. So right. I think that's good news. And they actually had a nice big display right in front of the store for Peanuts. So I thought that was really cool for the target here in Virginia Beach. But, I mean, it. can you blame them, though? Can you no. blame the stores? I mean, this is a cash cow, and it's the first new Star Wars movie in forever. There's more hype about this movie than maybe any movie in recent memory, and that's including think, the Avengers. I, I think, I, I, th- I would agree. I, I think so, because... You know, just look at it this way. Everybody for pre-sale tickets sold out. You know, it's it's yeah, just insane. It crashed the internet. It, it crashed the internet. You know, as far as the tips, as far as ticket sales go, and the thing is, you know, you look at the story, and it's just it's a lot, man. It's you know, if you're somebody who you know does a TMNT toys and stuff like that, that's the thing is you're losing a lot of revenue. So it'll be interesting to see how much revenue these things are are losing. You know, it's for because of Star Wars. Yeah, and imagine what's going to be like when the movie comes out. You know, and people go even more. And of course, you know, we have Black Friday coming up next yep. week. And that's so, going to be, that gonna and that's be like, gonna it's be, Cyber Monday. Yeah. It's going to be more, even more sales added to this $2 billion. And, and think about this. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be. So don't, don't read the, into that, Star Wars fans. Just hear me out on this. If the movie is really, really good, this number could triple. Yeah. I mean, if it's re- if it's exactly what we think and want it to be, this number is going to be ridiculous. Well, here's the thing, though. With all the bad and, you know, these other toy companies and these toy products are losing money because of Star Wars, there is some good that does come with that. Because look at it this way. If they do make $2, million, $2 billion within the final four, you know, few months of the year, uh, here's the thing. It, we could see toy the toy industry had the best holiday season in more than a decade because you know right. toy sales have been dropping mm-hmm. you know every, pretty much almost every year 
So because of Star Wars, we're going to see probably a nice big boost in sales, and they can have a really good, as far as the industry goes, a really good year. And it boosts retail sales overall, which the exactly. trickle-down effect there is retailers being able to spend more money on other products later on down the line. Once the Star Wars thing dies down, and it will die down a little bit even after the movie's out, once it dies down, here are the retailers sitting fat on a lot more money so they can take more chances on, say, Batman versus Superman merchandise or the Cap 3 merchandise that's going to be coming out. We might get more of that because of how good the Star Wars sales were. So the trickle-down effect here actually helps in the long run. So if you're some of the people that you just mentioned... You take your lumps now, but you know that later on down the line, you'll be able to make some money. And of course, a lot of these movies, like the Peanuts movie you're talking about, that will be released on Blu-ray and, and digital HD and stuff later on down the line. So you can make another push for merchandise during that release and maybe make some of that money back that you lost when the, when this whole Star Wars thing happened. Exactly. Speaking of spending money on other products, James, I know money that we're going to be spending on a certain book. Of course, it's going to be a Dark Knight 3 of the Master Race, which is being written by Brian Azrael. Also, Frank Miller is doing, I believe he's doing the artwork on that, I believe. Um, but There's been conflicting reports of yeah, what he is and isn't doing the writing and the art and stuff like that. But Frank Miller says he plans on writing another chapter of the Batman saga following that. Which is interesting because... DC really billed this as like a one-shot deal right? Uh, when they announced it and he came back. And, of course, they've got all those retailer incentive covers. I don't know if Bob's got one over there at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards or not in Virginia Beach, but a lot of other retailers did uh, these special covers. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't be excited about a fourth until I read the third. You know, I right. know that he's been... The gold uh, Dark Knight Returns is still maybe the gold standard of Batman stories, maybe the best ever. Um, but it's hard to get excited about a third sequel yeah. to anything. So until you read that, how can you be totally jazzed up for the fourth? And I'm all about, you know, Batman stuff. Everybody yeah. knows that. But uh, until you read the third, this is this is jumping the gun a little bit for me. Yeah, I mean, Miller had an interview with Newsarama, and he said, you know, he thoroughly applauded what Azarello was doing, but, you know, he said also that now that he's doing, you know, Dark Knight 3, Azarello, he says, it's got to be a four-part series, and I'm going to be writing the fourth book. So it's like, Parmy's like, you know, Frank, if you, I know you like what Azarello did with number three, or is doing number three, but again, it's kind of like, why did you write number three? You know, so yeah, now, you got, now, now, now you got to stretch it out to four yep. and three, you know, it's a trilogy. So, I mean, you know, why not end it at that, you know? And are they pushing a fourth when you don't really need a fourth? And, and then the a, fourth is going to be garbage. And that's a big fear. That's a really big fear. And we'll see how it goes. But again, you know, we got to read number three before we get to number four. And it's just not anytime a fourth anything's really mentioned like oh or like if you do three and they mention like a spinoff you get worried because right. you're like okay now it becomes cash grab it becomes let's just do it just the sake of doing it right you know and, and it's it's like making one movie too many when you've got a successful franchise you right. know it's like uh i'm gonna bring up the, the mummy movies with brendan fraser real quick the first one was good the second one Maybe not as good as the first movie was still good, but then that third one was a gigantic turd. Exactly. I mean, it was awful. 
Exactly. Speaking of the Mummy movie, our final story this week, because it really wasn't a lot in terms of news this week. Uh, we, going back to, we talked about this on a previous show. We talked about the whole Universal Monster movies and what, how they want to reboot them, kind of really intertwine them and make them kind of their own Avengers, if you will, in a sense. So they pretty much, Universal did, they came out and announced their film slate for how they're going to do the Universal reboots. And it pretty much they said they're going to kick things off with The Mummy, and then they plan to reboot Dracula, and then Van Helsing, as well as Brad Frankenstein and The Wolfman. Now, out of those ones I mentioned, the more shocking one, I think the more difficult one for them to do is Bride of Frankenstein. Now, I saw that and I jumped off the page to me too. What that tells me... They've got somebody in mind. Oh, yeah. They've got a name that they're like, if we get her, this is the movie we should but do here's because of all the Frankenstein why... stuff that's been done. Let's do Bride of Frankenstein. But here's the reason why I say that. When you go back and I, – I, I love the Universal Monster movies. They're my favorite horror movies oh, of yeah. all time. No, I, love, I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, Bride of Frankenstein to me is – I mean, they're all iconic, but Bride of Frankenstein I think is so iconic – because of that scene where Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster goes, friend, and she screams. You know, it's just, there's so many mm-hmm. iconic moments in that. And then they're going to do Van Helsing. Like, I, I, I really wish they would have kept off on Van Helsing. And then they would have done something like either The Invisible Man or maybe even, yeah. or, or maybe even Creature, Creature from, from Black, Black Lagoon. There Black you Lagoon. go. You know, I would really have loved to see that. But again, it's just. I don't know, man. Van Helsing. I mean, the Hugh Jackman thing kind of left a bit big, horrible taste in my mouth. Was it was, um, Hugh, was it Hugh Jackman or was it Viggo Mortensen? No, it was Hugh Jackman. God, I can't even remember. See that? Well, that that should tell you all you need to know right there. It, it was Hugh Jackman. They turned Frankenstein perched to like a Quasimodo esque kind of a character. I mean, I don't know why you do Van Helsing either. Honestly, I mean, there's so many more to choose from, and I mean, is is he even one of the Universal Monster but, type? I don't really think. Not it that I fits. remember, but I mean, like the thing is, if you're thinking about it this way, if you're trying to build the Universal Monsters, that's kind of like we're gonna be like their own Avengers kind of thing. Wouldn't you kind of want to use Van Helsing, kind of like a Loki? If, I mean, I'm yeah. just saying. You know? Yeah, you would. It's exactly what you want to do. And I mean, I know that they talked to Variety a little bit about this and about the film slate, but I mean, I know they're trying to justify some of these, but I mean, The Mummy's an obvious one. Dracula's an obvious one. Wolfman's an obvious one. But then you've got the two outliers, and it's like, okay, well, where and do these fit in then? And here's the thing with Dracula. You know, Dracula to this day, the original one, with Bela Lugosi, literally had the best ever marketing campaign behind it because it was billed as the strangest love story ever told. Yeah. You have to build it. I'm sorry, it's kind of a love story because that's what it is. You don't want to go Twilight on it, but, yeah. I mean, it's, you have to have a, a creepy sense about it. You can't have it to where you just go around killing people, killing people, killing people. It's the strangest love story ever told. Go yeah. back to those roots. It, it's kind of like we said, you know, like what I said last week about when I was talking about the Peanuts movie and I was talking about how, you know, when they had a problem and just didn't know what to do, go back to the script. Yep. Okay, you don't know what to do with these? If you want to have a problem with the writing or whatever, go back to the originals. See what made them great. Go back to the market. Revisit the old marketing campaign. Right, right. Is you know? that hard? I don't think it is. 
Well, I mean, I'm excited about it, but part of me is just, it, you know, I mean, it makes me fear about this a little bit. I, I do. I can't fault them for wanting to do something a little bit different. So I don't want people to get the impression that that's what we're saying, because that's not what we're saying at all. Yeah. What we're saying is, is that it's an odd choice. Okay. Yeah. It's just a little bit of an odd choice. Some of these, not all of them. But some of them are an odd choice, and it just leads me to believe that they feel like they've got a guy, they've now, got a girl that is going to just make this perfect. Now, Chris Morgan, who is, of course, one of the screenwriters for these movies, he said in a in a interview with Variety that he said that they're going to be, quote, exploring issues of the family identity and questions of where do I belong in the world, which does fit. Right. Um, you know, the whole where do I belong kind of thing, it fits. Um, and I want to jump onto another movie quickly, The, the Wolfman. We live in a time of CG, but I'm sorry. I would love to see a Wolfman that had practical transformations like the Howling. Mm -hmm. Because to me, the Howling, the best by far, I believe it was the the Howling, the best by far transformation scene in that hotel room. It was just insane. It was the Howling or American Werewolf in in London. Um, But it was just fantastic and phenomenal. I loved it. I really, really loved it. Yeah, I think that you've got to do a little bit of that, too. And, I mean, there was a story that just came out not too long ago, and I think it was on Games GameSpot, where they were talking about how the Warcraft movie is going to have more practical effects than you think. Well, hopefully, right. we're going to see that trend continue. I know, I'm not saying they shouldn't use CG, because I think that's stupid. I think yeah. the technology's there. For certain things, you absolutely positively have to use CG because it would be you, I think you'd be criticized if you didn't, but for certain things, for certain little details, I think you need to go a little bit more practical effects. And I think that for Wolfman, I think that that's one of those things. I think I would say the thing, same thing about the mummy as well. Exactly. And that's gonna do it for Nerd News with Sweep Cup next. There's been something that's been sticking more so in James's craw as of late, and uh that's come next. Right here on Down and Nerdy. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, to get in front of your keyboards and type in who you like to see for a certain character. And hey, even contact your, you know, if you're someone who's an actor, contact your agent and say, get me on Facebook and tell them I want to play this certain character because it's time for our main topic this week. And James, again, we're talking about the fact that it's kind of been a very annoy, much of an annoyance that actors are taken to social media and using things in interviews saying, I would love to play there's certain things and the media running with it. So with that being said, I'm going to let you go. Before I even get started, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now because I think that there could be some that might be thinking this, this is a little hypocritical because last week when we were talking to Victoria Atkin, yeah. we asked her if there was anybody that she would like to play in certain movies coming up. And she'd mentioned that she wants to play Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider movie. So I understand that we asked her the question. She's going to answer it. I thought it was a legitimate question after finding out that she did the motion captures for Evie Fry. So I think to me, totally different than what I'm about to say. I'm just sick and tired. And this has been going on for a while now. And, and the media is partially to blame for this. Every actor, actress, athlete, singer, composer, (laughs) runner of rickshaws is coming out on social media and saying who they might want to play in a superhero movie. Ronda Rousey, I am glad that you are trying to broaden your horizons after being kicked in the face. 
I really am. I think it's great that you want to have a life beyond having your head bashed in on a semi-regular basis. But, quite frankly, what you do or who you want to play or don't want to play is irrelevant because it's not up to you. And Tyrese Gibson, thank you, sir, for chilling out and stopping this ridiculous campaign to try and be Jon Stewart in the next Green Lantern slash Justice League movies. Because that was just getting sad. You're doing artwork of yourself. You whipped out the old Photoshop and said, Hey, look what I'd look like as Jon Stewart. And now we're doing it with everybody. We're Photoshopping people onto the wooden... Ronda Rousey look great as Captain Marvel. Here's what it would look like. Okay, it's time to it's fun to play little games every now and then. You know, you don't want to put yourself on Thor's face. That's fine. That's fine. That's what Halloween is for. And that's what cosplay is for. But just because you have an inkling of fame for however long you have it doesn't mean that you should play any hero of any kind from comic books and other things that we've enjoyed throughout the years. Let's go through the process. I don't want a name. I don't want a face. I want somebody who's going to do the friggin' job the way it's supposed to be done, like Chris Evans did with Captain America slash Steve Rogers. Thank you. <laughs> well, I want to say this, too. The problem is, as I mentioned social media, and as James just mentioned, it, 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 the more the problem lies with, listen, we understand that in interviews, you know, if you ask that question, if we ask the question like we did with Victoria Atkin, they're going to answer it and stuff like that. That's how interviews work. And she led into it, honestly. But, it, but it's also, but it's more the fact that our, our not I want to say disgust, but our just annoyance of this whole thing that's going on now is the social media aspect of them photoshopping themselves and stuff like that and saying, look, I look like is this and everything else. Do they not realize you have to be able to act? Like, I'm sorry, Ronda mm-hmm. Rousey, but I know you're going to be in a new Roadhouse remake, but... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, being in Roadhouse, much different than being Captain Marvel and having to carry a certain franchise as big as the Marvel properties. Right, and it, answering a question in an interview... Is totally different than going on your social media page. Yeah. You, the actor, or you, the publicist, whoever's running the page, and just launching this ridiculous grassroots campaign to try and get a part. I know that there's campaigning that goes on to get parts. I'm not an idiot. I know how it works. You've right. got to shop your client to the studio and do it that way. But I know the court of public opinion is starting to do some very interesting things on social media and some good things have been saved some haven't but i think when you get yourself involved and you're borderline whoring yourself out for a role right it there's a credibility that gets kind of lost there i'm glad you're a fan but chill right and and the thing is is like listen we know getting a superhero role like an aquaman or a green lantern or whomever this day and age pretty much gets you a lot of money and it gets you what a lot of people in actors in Hollywood want, which is security. They want job security. You know, if you're Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr., you know, okay, I got X amount of years to to be this character and I'm going to be sitting comfortably. You know, Hugh Jackman was Wolverine for 10 plus years and he's had, you know, he's had other roles and Hugh Jackman's a really good actor, 
But, I mean, Wolverine, really, if you think about it, kind of launched him. You know? Yeah, it and, did. And, and it gave him that really good sense of security that he has today. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is, when you look at what they're doing on social media when they're using the whole uh, Photoshop and everything else, you know, it, it just does. It does. It comes down to being downright sad. And what happens is you get a lot of people, like, for example, uh, if you go on a certain social media Facebook page, you'll see that this these people constantly post this person wants to be this or look at what this person would look like as this you know somebody did an, a fan art of this and the thing is you look at the comments people are like enough like they're getting sick and tired of it yeah dude. It, it, like they're it, getting it is pissed enough. and what's going to happen is not only are you going to turn people away and turn people off from that person who's pining for that role you're going to turn them off from your project possibly yeah i mean I think we get too attached to a look, too. I yeah. really do, and I think that that's part of the problem. Just because somebody might kind of it's, look like a character style, doesn't mean they should play a character. It's the classic style over substance. That's, yeah, that's what, exactly, that's what it is. exactly. And if I'm sorry, and, and I am not bashing nerds here, okay? I'm really not. But if you don't understand that depth of performance matters more than how a character looks in order to tell the story that you want to tell, I can't help you. Yeah. I just can't. It just it it doesn't matter to me. And and I'm totally honest. If if Henry Cavill looked nothing like Superman. Yeah. Let's say he looked nothing like Superman or Clark Kent at all. Would it would it kind of strike me as odd? Yeah, it would strike me as odd. Maybe I'd be a little upset about it, but once you see that movie, if that person just does a stellar job and they just embody that character, like Robert Downey Jr. embodied Tony Stark and Iron Man, you throw it away and who cares? Right, right. And I mean, you know, again, you look at this and what, you know, Holly was doing, and you look at like something like with Tom Holland before he got cast as Spider-Man, what was the one thing that he did? He was posting videos, him literally like doing flips and everything else yep. and showing like, I can do this. It's like, Tom, you do know Spider-Man is mostly going to be CG, and you know that's yeah. going to be wire yeah. work, correct? Yeah, it's like, good for you. You can do all of these things. We're proud of you. But yeah. that to, to me, it almost, when I see stuff like that, it almost tells me why they shouldn't play that character <laughs> right. you know what i mean like did ben affleck post pictures of himself in like a halloween mask cowl just chilling out watching boston red sox games no he did, just did he ben, used his did, talents as an actor to get the role did ben affleck post a picture of him crying over two dead people in an alley that could be his parents and no he didn't do that you no know? he didn't at all it did did uh, Chris Evans post pictures of himself on social media with American flags and fatigues? No. He went out there, he did the job, and he got the role. And you know what? Everybody was mad when he was cast as Captain America, remember? Everybody Chris was Evans, upset. Chris Evans was in a movie called Not a Routine Movie, which I have. Chris Evans was in a movie where a certain scene had him with, I believe, it be either a banana or a hot dog in his ass. Yeah, exactly. And not, let's not forget, <laughs> he was Johnny Storm in the original yeah. Fantastic Four movies as well. Having, you know, uh, doing a new scene where it's like he puts his whole private area in whipped cream to <laughs> Johnny Storm to Captain America. And, and did it work? Hell yes. It Hell worked. yeah. Okay. It worked exceedingly well just because you did that back then. And that's what we get judged on. Yeah. So why is it? Why is it? My gosh. Why is it that we're not judging Ronda Rousey for being in Expendables 3 
and fighting people and, and doing and, and, Roadhouse. And the latest Fast and Furious movie where she wasn't... She's... I'm sorry. She was not good at playing even herself. No, she wasn't. But you know what? And, and I'm going to go with Dave Batista here for a second because I think it's kind of similar because he was a wrestler well, and stuff like that. But there's acting well, involved there for one. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And WWE for two... is theater. That's what... WWE yeah. in wrestling, professional wrestling, is and has always been professional physical theater like like you know and stuff like that but not only that he had a role while he was still in wrestling in a martial arts movie but that performance made people go huh maybe this guy's got something it wasn't a major role and he worked his way into roles like drax and being inspector and stuff like that that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the don nerdy podcast again thanks to you for all for listening and next week's show Guess what we have? We do have a guest for next week's show for our Thanksgiving episode. Not going to say who it is yet. We're probably going to announce it later next week before Thanksgiving, we promise. But stay tuned for that. But again, thank you all for listening. We're all all over social media, facebook.com slash down nerdy. We're also on Twitter. I'm at Merkle One Arm. We're also at Down Nerd 757. Mr. Witham, where can the great people and the listeners find you? I'm at <clears throat> James Ace Witham. And don't forget, you can always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. We've got our comic book reviews up there. We've also got a section where you can buy the items that we talk about on the show, whether it be Blu-rays, DVDs, comics, video games, you name it. We've got it up there safe and secure from our Amazon store. And we've also got the This Week section. On our on our webpage, where you can see what we're talking about on nerd news, what trailers we reviewed, stuff like that, what comics we're reviewing, you can find that all and kind of it's like a guide that you can use while you're listening to the show to find out what's coming up. Exactly, exactly. And of course, you know we do have a number you can call and leave your fan questions seven five seven five one two eight two two nine. When you hear James's voice on the answering machine, if you have those anymore. Um, pretty much just leave your question there and who knows, maybe if it's good enough, we'll play it on the air. You can be a part of the podcast. You I think the kids friends. are calling it voicemail now. Isn't they're calling voicemail now. Well, okay. That's what the kids are calling it. So, okay. Do you ever we'll, run, we'll get with the time. Quick thing. Do you ever run home? Like if you were in trouble from school, you just ran home and you like quickly erased the tape on the answering machine. Dude, you got to have a spare tape. Dude, I did that. I mean, you got, if you got a spare tape, swap out that little cassette. You're good. I whenever I got trouble in school, I either did that or I just gave my teachers the wrong number on purpose. I had another show back in the '90s, another online show, and the first interview we ever did. Yeah, we had the person call my house. Okay. Okay. And we had an answering machine, and you could set it so the answering machine will record the call. And oh. That's how we did it on the little cassette tape. Oh, oh no! We recorded the interview on that, and it worked. But <laughs> these are the. This is how long we've been doing this, people. This is the experience that we bring to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Exactly, and I mean, again, we're all over social media, and we did. We wrote two new reviews this week. I, of course. Wrote a review for Black Magic number one from Image Comics. And what did you do this week, James? Or from Black Helsinki from IDW. All right. Go on my website and check those out. And I'm not going to close the show as I normally do with my usual quote and saying um, because I do want to spend some time to uh, give our thoughts and prayers to the people who, of course, were affected by the bombings and terrorist attacks in Paris this past weekend. We do have a lot of listeners in in France. Actually, for people who don't know, again, revealing the curtain behind uh, Down Nerdy, P- France is actually behind the United States as far as listenership goes. They are our second biggest fan base. And, um, you know, again, 
to everybody who was affected by the attacks over in Paris and France, thank you so much for listening to us, and uh, we really appreciate it. And, and our, again, our hearts and prayers go out to everybody who was affected by those, and I hope that you all find peace and, and everything as the days and months go on. And uh, I just wanted to end the show with a moment of silence uh, for those who were lost in the terrorist attacks in Paris.